Welcome everyone, we're so glad you're back. Welcome to our English service. Um, I hope you're enjoying our series on the book of Revelation. Um, it's leaving me with um, a lot of new ways of thinking and it's a great blessing to study the book with you and to see what it actually says and not listen to all the conspiracies and all the things said about, about this book, but to know that there's a real message for us as believers for a time such as this for the generations before us and also for the first audience that listened to, to this message. So just to recap um, last week's sermon, we are in 95 um, AD. Uh, Domitianus is the Caesar. He is um, asking everyone to worship him as their Lord and their God. And the Christians cannot do that. They... Um, they say that they confess Jesus as, as, as Lord and as Savior, and therefore they are poor, they are being persecuted, not only by the Roman government, but also by the people in the, in the towns, because these people said that they, um, are, they are busy practicing incense, and they are also cannibals because they eat and drink the blood of Jesus. And therefore they started to remove them from society, this unpure group of people with this weird perspective that when they are in the middle of the Colosseum or even persecuted in their homes, killed, raped, marginalized, they still do not deny Jesus. And therefore these Romans were perplexed. They didn't understand what was was happening and Jesus reveals himself to John on this island of Patmos and he's the he's the righteous judge coming to give his judgment on the earth on the world but also on believers on 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 people and we saw last week that um that he he's got this the wig that's his wisdom his purity his um he's got the uniform of a judge he's got bronze feet that's glowing which is the judgment on all flesh and um, he's coming to deliver this judgment on the people and this way that the way that jesus portrayed himself to john and revealed himself is so overwhelming that he falls as if dead he knows jesus he was the disciple that was with his head on the chest of jesus at the last supper but this new way where jesus in his resurrected glorified body shows himself to john is in a way so magnificent and glorious that john cannot um, even look at it and he falls as if dead and jesus touches his shoulder and says it's me um, it's me you know me it's me so so i want to um, introduce this the way that we look at Jesus and we see Jesus is, is sort of a new way that we think about him in the book of Revelation because in the in the Gospels Jesus shows himself and reveal himself as a prophet he is there to say the words of God to do the acts of God when we read the epistles we see him as a priest he's sort of the the, the middleman between us and God he prays for us he he serves us he um, he, he tells us how to live and what brings life and what brings death. And then in the book of Revelation, we see him as a king and a judge. And sometimes it's difficult for us to embrace this side of Jesus. But I want to I really plead with you to listen to this whole message and this whole series um, and, and to embrace the part of God's character where he is a judge and he is a king and that he is the ruler and he is a judge and he what he says goes and if he says to the left we will go to the left if he say to the right we will go to the right he is in control um 
And I think it's difficult for us because we've heard a lot of teachings about grace that's actually not right. It's difficult for us to believe that God judges, first of all, His people. It's easy for us to think that God will judge these people that's, that's harming the Christians, that's killing them, that's raping them, that's persecuting them. We, we, we're at ease with that. But it's difficult for us to see that Jesus doesn't start his judgment with this unholy group of people, but he starts with his church. And Paul writes this, he says that judgment starts at the house of and in the house of God. And we see this, that Jesus visits every single church, these seven churches, and there's a judgment, there's a warning of judgment. He warns them, he says, if you don't do this, this will happen. Um, John 16 verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Now the world is not, not, is not the people that doesn't believe in Jesus. The world is, is the cosmos. That's this the word used there. It's everyone. The Holy Spirit came to convict everyone of sin, righteousness and judgment. Even the believers. If you don't believe me, go and read Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they come to the apostles. They say this is the amount of money. They lie to the Holy Spirit and they fall, as, they fall dead. That's an immediate judgment. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Look at the way that you use communion because it will bring, you will bring judgment upon yourself. If speaking about the Lord's table, communion, it's believers. Jesus will not warn them of judgment if there were no judgment because that's deceiving. Okay, he's, he doesn't, he's not an abusive, he's not an abusive Lord or judge. He, he, he warns them because he wants them to turn away and he loves them and he wants them to remove everything from their midst that's hindering their love for God and their love for, for one another. So when we think about judgment, normally we have a very negative view of judgment. Okay, but, but we see this all through scripture that it says that God disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines of us. He, 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 he speaks to us. And personally for me, um, when I've experienced this many times, <laughs> that Jesus disciplines me. And I must tell you, every time when He disciplines me, it's like life giving to me. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to me. Thank you that you're showing this to me. I'm happy to repent about it. I'm happy to turn away from these things that bring, brings death and brings um, a destruction of, of my time with you. I want to remove it. But when we do not do that, then, then we said last week that grace is limited to those who refuse it. It's limited. It, 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 there will be a judgment. There will be um, an, almost an act of mercy, if you will look at it this way. And this is an act of mercy that God says, listen, what's important to me is that you will serve me and that your spirit will be born again and it will stay born again, stay in love with me. And therefore, um, this is an act of mercy from, from my side. I see this in my children. When I discipline them, they actually love me more. Okay, because I don't abuse them. I discipline them because I love them, because I want them to grow up to be what God called them to be. And when they disobey me, I need to punish them and I need to tell them this is the way to go. And if you don't go this way and I just leave you to yourself, you will become something that society and God and us don't like and you won't like yourself as well. 
because I know what's good for him and I know the ways of God and I know because I've been there and you've been there and we know and God knows the best when it comes to his people and us and he speaks to us and that's why in Revelation it says those who can hear must listen they must obey they must they must do what Jesus told them to do so we see that Jesus is in front of every single community, every single group of believers in every single town. It's physical town. It's real people with real problems. They're being persecuted. It's not a dispensation of church. Um, as people sometimes read it, it's actual physical churches, places. John could see them, physically see them from this island of Pathmos, and they were 250 kilometers from each other. The way in which um, the... the um, the folk order, if the Afrikaans word, in, in which these churches are named in the book of Revelation is how John would have traveled from the one to the other to the other and at the end to the church of Laodicea. So we're going to do three churches because there's a lot to be said about each and every one. Um, and then next week we will do the other four. We will not keep to the, this pace if you're worried that, okay, if we go at this pace, then 21 Chapters 21 Sundays, we will end the year with the book of Revelation. So don't worry, some of the chapters we can put together. Um, and, but I don't want to rush through these things that Jesus says to his churches because it's relevant to our lives. It's relevant to us today. He's saying the same things to us. He, did, he didn't change. His judgment didn't change. His way didn't change. It, he wasn't harsh on the believers in, in this 95 AD. He, he, he loves them. And that's why he's with flames of fire in his eyes, standing before them saying, you are my communities. You are my people. I love you. And therefore, you must do this and this and this and this. So he's got a, a way of speaking to them. Let me just warn you. Like I'm preaching through this, you might feel the temptation to judge certain churches. Do not do this, that. Okay, The judgment of a church is the privilege of Jesus because it's his property. It's not, you don't have eyes with, filled with flames and fire. Okay, You are a mere human and it's important for us to take note of this and I will tell you what our role in, in our in our brothers and sisters lives and in our community is but please do not while i'm going through this think oh that church that is the accusation against them and that's the accusation against them okay don't don't go there um it's the privilege of jesus alone so we start with the church in ephesus we're gonna gonna read together to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands the seven stars, we said it's the seven leaders and the seven golden lampstands is the seven churches. Let me just say this is interesting that, that Jesus chose to reveal himself to John and John went and gave the message to the, to the believers, to the communities, to these seven churches. And I think there's something that we must say there that sometimes we place an unnecessary emphasis on the role of a leader that is sort of a Levitical priest in a sense that he hears from God for us which is incorrect because God can also speak to every one of you and to the community and to the believers in every community but there is a way in which God communicates in this book that we must recognize that he does appoint leaders over churches and it's his appointment and that he chose a certain way in 
of communication and that he will still do it today. So it's good for us to notice that sometimes when our leader says stuff that we should pay attention, that it's as if God is speaking because this is what happened happening here. He reveals himself to John and he says, John, write it down and go and tell these seven churches. Okay. But sometimes because we're familiar with each other and we, we think about each other, um, we, we think that we don't have to listen. Um, but I want to just say again that we need to pay attention that God appoints leaders and He does speak to them. And He will give them a message pertaining to, the, to His church. Okay, that's it. Um, verse 2, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know you. The first thing that Jesus says to this church, He knows them. He's got relationship with them. He, he, they are born again Christians, filled with the Spirit of God. It's normal people like us. Um, he knows them and um, he's, he's in front of them with this eyes of filled with flames of fire. Okay? And he knows them and he's saying to them the following, I know you, I know that, that um, your deeds, you've, you've worked hard, your hard work and your perseverance. So this community worked hard. They were believers, and because they were believers, they, um, they were obedient to what Jesus asked them, to His commands, to, to preaching the gospel, to healing the sick, to making disciples, to baptizing people, to all these things. So they've been working, um, and they've been persevering. They've, perseverance speaks of that they've been persecuted a lot, and they've almost grown accustomed to it. So they've persevered. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. Okay, It doesn't speak about wicked men in the world. It speaks about wicked men in the church. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, its leaders, but are not. It's false teachers. Jesus says to them, I, I, I know that you've tested these guys and they are not and that you have found them false. This is the first time in the book of Revelation. It's a recurring theme where we get to, to see that Jesus makes a distinction between a false church and the true church. And all through the book of the, the New Testament, the books of the New Testament, Jesus gives a command to believers saying, when you get to do with the false church or, um, you, you know, they, they are in your midst, remove them from your midst. Don't, don't eat with them. Don't um, listen to them. Don't allow them into your midst because they're wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, and this is very interesting that he's, he's, he's telling them, I, I, I like it that you cannot tolerate these guys that, that proclaim that they know me, but they don't know me. They're part of the false church. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. So, so these guys have been through, this is mature Christians. They've, they've worked hard, they've persevered, they've endured hardships, they've been persecuted, um, they've been there for a while, um, and, and Jesus is saying all these things. But then he's got this accusation against them. Yet I hold this against you. Before I read that to you, verse 6 says, But you have this in your favor, that you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the message, the practice of the Nicolaitans was that they, they um, mixed the, um, the gospel with a compromise to the world. They said it's fine to bow your knee before Caesar, to say that he's Lord and God, because, because you have to work, you have to eat, you have to provide. And therefore there was a mixed 
um, theology that came into the church saying it's fine to compromise. And Jesus says, I hate, which I also hate. He hates a compromise with the world. And he says, I like that about you, that you are the same. Yet I hold this against you. This is an accusation. You have forsaken your first love. You've been so busy working that you've missed, missed me. You've missed Jesus. You've misplaced your devotion, your affection towards the one that, that called you in the first place. So what we learn from this church in Ephesus is the first commandment should be our first priority. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and, and mind. Love the Lord your God. And that should always be our first priority. This exact, exact accusation that this church got, we actually as a church, and it's humbling to say this over the camera, we as a church experienced this at the end of last year, that Jesus said, listen, you're busy with a lot of things, but you've missed me. And, and he, he rebuked us. And he said, turn away, turn around, repent, and replace your focus on me. I am your first love. Not the work, not all the things that you do, but I am your first love. Repent, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then it says, and this is, it's almost like a, um, he's saying, or you should do this or if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is saying, if you do not repent, if you do not turn your focus unto me, your first love, then I will come and I will remove my presence from among you. So the, the accusation or the judgment will be that this church will gather as believers, sing, worship, preach, do everything, but Jesus will not be with them. I cannot think of something more scary than that. I'm not, I'm not, we, we gather to celebrate Him, but He's not there. <laughs> um, so, so Jesus say, guys, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to remember that I'm your first love. You don't do things out of love. It's dead works. Stop doing it. Return to me. And then he says, verse 7, He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then the church in, in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. Who died and came to life again. And Jesus is saying to them the following, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know you, yet you are rich. I know your afflictions. I know that you're persecuted. I know that you're actually poor. These people didn't compromise. They didn't, they didn't listen to this teaching of the Nicolaitans. They, 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 they were loyal to Jesus. And because of that, they were poor. They refused to do Caesar worship. And because of that, they couldn't work, they couldn't eat, um, and they were persecuted. And therefore, Jesus is saying, guys, you are afflicted and you're poor, but actually you're rich. You're doing the things that I command you and that makes you very rich. Even though you don't have any money, you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Again, the false church. People, the Jews are people that say they have a covenant with God, but they don't have. But are a synagogue of Satan. <laughs> Jesus um, is not beating around the bush. He's straight. He's saying they are not a part of me. They're part of the synagogue of Satan. You see there's light and there's darkness. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's no in between. Are we a part of it or we not? We are part of the kingdom of God or the synagogue of Satan. 
And Jesus is saying to them, they profess me with their mouths. They say they have a covenant with me, but they don't. They're part of the synagogue of Satan. And this is what's happening here. These people had tremendous pressure, these believers, from outside. That's why they're poor. But also from the inside. Because there were people that came into their midst that said, we're Jews, we're believers, we're following Jesus. But they don't. And they were called the synagogue of Satan by Jesus himself. Um, so Jesus said, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and will suffer persecution for 10 days. And we, we said what that means. 10 is a, is a, a letter code used um, by believers to understand. Unbelievers wouldn't understand. And the, the letter 10 means uh, the complete amount of days. Um, the same meaning is for the letter 12 and the letter 7. So you will suffer persecution for the remainder of your days, Jesus is telling them. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He's telling them you will die. You will be persecuted until the end. And be faithful because I will give you the crown of life. He's telling them, listen, they might kill you. But I will give you the crown of life. I will give you true life that no one can take away from you. I will give you eternal life. If they kill you, it's fine. They kill your flesh. But I will give you eternal life in the spirit. You will live with me forever. I don't think prosperity gospel could be preached at the church of Smyrna. Okay, the prosperity gospel is when we say come to Jesus and all your troubles will be gone. You'll have peace and that's the truth. You'll, 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 um, you'll be prosperous. You'll get the husband you want, the wife you want, the kids you want. Nothing will ever happen to you. You will be, have no suffering. You see, the problem with this prosperity gospel is then when we get to suffering, we, we will say we, we didn't sign up for this. Because we've got no framework for suffering. But Jesus is telling this church, he's not saying, I will take you out of the suffering. He's telling them, you will suffer for my name's sake. You will be persecuted. They will kill you for the remainder of your days on earth. But stay committed, stay faithful, because I will give you the crown of life. I will give you eternal life that they cannot give you. So don't fear flesh, fear me, because I've got eternity in my hands. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at the second death. I will later explain what that second death is all about. To the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Jesus has a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Okay, And this sharp double-edged sword is used to cut the believers, to prune them. John 15 says that he will, we are branches and he will prune everything that is not bearing fruit. Um, but it's also, it also um, cut towards the world and it brings judgment to them. So it brings life to us, but death to the rest. This is this, this double-edged sword. Hebrews also speaks about the double-edged sword coming to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, revealing the intentions of our, of our, of our hearts. Um, so Jesus saying, I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know what's happening. I know you. I know where you live. He says, where Satan has his throne. So it, this is escalating. It was a synagogue of Satan. Now Satan has his throne in Pergamum. Uh, the reason why Jesus says this is because there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of idol worship in this town. A lot of idol worship. And they say that the, the Caesar worship was the worst in Pergamum. 
So there was a lot of persecution against the believers, a lot of, lot of pressure. Um, yet you remained true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who, has put, who has, was put to death in your city where Satan lives. This is, we don't know a lot about Antipas, but he is a guy that was persecuted and killed for his faith. He was a faithful witness. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And there's two things. You have people there who told the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Two accusations. The teaching of the Nicolaitans, we said it's a compromising with the world. It's where it's, uh, it, the teaching is it's fine to compromise because you need to work. You need to say to Caesar what he needs to hear, but, but actually you confess something else. Jesus says, I hate it. And then the teaching of Balaam is uh, where the believers are tempted by other believers to, to do idol worship. And um, in Numeri 22 to 24, this guy is hired by the king to prophesy. He's a prophet of God and he's also a fortune teller. So he was his feet in two kingdoms and to curse the nation of Israel. And God says, I hate it. So there was a, there was a mixture in the gospel. It was, it, was, it was Jesus and some of the local, um, local idol worship. It wasn't pure. It was defiled. It, it's sort of like modern day... Um, in some cultures, we see that it's Jesus plus our ancestors. And Jesus is saying, I've got this against you. I will judge you. Um, remove these people from your midst and remove these teachings from your midst. You see, this is very interesting that, that Jesus tells them the following. This is repent. Otherwise, I will come to you and will, will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He says to them, if you don't remove these people, you will also be judged. So what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying to them, you must be very cautious about who you allow into your church. Don't allow people that I don't allow. Don't allow teaching that I don't allow. And don't allow testimonies of who Jesus is that's not my testimony. So it's the responsibility of the community of believers to judge the teaching and the testimonies that's going forth from them. So this is, this is, and this is true for us today. This is a scary part, okay? This is true for us today. When we see believers drifting from Jesus, it's our responsibility to call them back. If they refuse to come back and to repent, if their hearts aren't like a heart of a disciple, soft at this correction or the rebuke, then scripture says, remove them from your midst. This is what Jesus is saying to this church. If you don't remove them, you will also be judged. Remove them from your, from your midst. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5. This is not a scripture that we put up against our fridge. It says, Paul's writing, he says, Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he might be saved on the day. His spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. He's saying it's almost an act of mercy. Give him over to Satan. Give him over. And we see the same language used in Romans 1. Paul, Paul is saying that God will give them over to their own lusts. Give them over for the destruction of their flesh that they might be saved. Because that's what's important to Jesus. That they might be saved on the day of the Lord. And sometimes it's necessary to do these things for people to wake up. Because they go into a slumber. And to wake up and say, hey, I'm busy with... I'm busy with really serious stuff here. 
and I need to turn away. I need to turn around. I've been a part of processes like this in church, where, which was good and some which were very bad. I think it's really important that it should be done with utmost humility and love. Utmost humility and love. Um, you see, we, we, the first thing we say, I say you, you can't judge me. You know what scripture says that judgment starts in the house of God and we have a responsibility to one another, not to judge the intentions of the heart, but to judge fruit. That's what scripture says. We should judge the fruit and say, listen, this is not in line with the testimony of Jesus and what he is saying to us or to you. Repent and turn around. I've had this in my own life where some of my friends, believers said to me, listen, you are on a a path of destruction here. Turn around, repent. And I love them till this day for doing that. If we refuse to do that, then we say that grace is limited for those who refuse it. Jesus will remove his protection. He will remove his grace. And our, our flesh will hopefully start feeling a destruction. And we will cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm, I was deceived. I was misled. I was in sin, but I want to come back. And I want to serve you. Um, I want to know you. So our responsibility towards other believers is, are we faithful to the testimony of Jesus? And are we faithful to what he is saying? Are we obedient to that? Are we submitted under his authority? Or am I doing whatever I want to? And whenever you say something to me that I don't like, because your flesh will not like this when you're reprimanded. But when, when my flesh doesn't like it, I just go my own route. And I said, yes, what I thought about you guys are true all along. You're just, you're just full of judgment. But it's actually our love. And, it, and I've been on the side where I have to give this as well. It's such a difficult thing to do because we fear rejection. We fear judgment from this guy that we actually come to say, this and this and this in your life need to change. That we say, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But, but there's life when we start to do it. Rickard's words um, in our discussion is just in my mind. He says, it's the it's the life um, of a church when they embrace the hard words of Jesus. When we embrace the hard, the hard words of Jesus like this, it will, there will be life. It's when we compromise on these words that we will be just the same as everyone else. There will be no testimony of real life, the life of God, repentance, bringing life in our midst. That people can see these people love one another and they love Jesus. There's something different in this church. This is, a, this is a vibrant, true church of God following Jesus, doing what he says and not worrying about preaching a popular gospel or holding on to a popular way of, of doing things, seeing things, but there's no life. Because our main objective is being obedient to Jesus and that's what we, what we want to do. And then verse 17 says, You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. The hidden manna and the white stone with a new name on it speaks to our, speaks to our mysterious connection to Christ, that we are in covenant with him, that, that, that he will feed us. And that he will give us this new stone. This white stone is, they use the, the colored stones for calculations. And they, it's saying that they will calculate us into the family of God. We are we were given a white stone and he's giving us hidden manna. And that mysterious connection that Paul also writes about, that, that the bride has with the bridegroom. 
we will be a part of that. So I want to I wanna pray for us. And I think that the main thing I want to communicate is that we perceive judgment sometimes as people with a stick in the hand wanting to abuse us, wanting to uh, manip manipulate us, wanting to humiliate us. But there's also a real life-giving side to the judgment from God and when we can, in a, in a way, be accountable to, to one another to, to pr protect the testament of Jesus in our midst midst and also to be obedient to him to be submitted under his authority when we do that we will experience life and life in abundance like like jesus said so lord we thank you for everyone listening to this to this video lord we say jesus that you hold the keys to life and death you give us life in abundance and we no longer want to compromise we want to return to our first love we, we want to remove everything in our midst, Lord, that's not you. Thank you that you burn it away. Thank you that you're cutting it away with that double-edged sword. And we want to present ourselves pure and blameless before you. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you. You are a righteous judge and the king of our lives. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bless you guys. I hope you enjoyed the service with us. We will see you next week again. Bless you.